big names to watch in free agency this offseason for the Colorado Avalanche. Goaltender Corey Crawford, right-hand D Justin Schultz, left-winger Taylor Hall. Jim Joe Sackick has a legit Stanley Cup contender and cap space to spare. We'll talk about the short-term additions if he decides he wants to go all-in to win the Stanley Cup for this upcoming season. Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. As part of our coverage of the Central Division, I've put together team-focused 2020 NHL draft and free agency podcasts for all of the teams, as well included the Arizona Coyotes, as they will join the Central Division when the Seattle Kraken expansion team begins play in the NHL, just a season removed from the upcoming one. This podcast is dedicated to the Colorado Avalanche. How I decided to select the podcast order was to go from the team with the highest pick in this year's draft among the Central Division teams to the lower. Seemed pretty straightforward. Colorado has the 25th pick in the first round this year. One selection before the St. Louis Blues. Central Division teams Minnesota at 9, Winnipeg, Nashville, and Chicago all draft before the abs. This podcast doubles as both a look at the 2020 draft, but also a team's free agents and positionally where they might want to strengthen. Within days of the draft, which is October 6th, free agency will open October 9th at noon Eastern Standard Time. There will definitely be much to talk about on that front. Colorado has six picks for the 2020 draft missing most notably in having a second round pick this year. The third rounder comes from Toronto, while the sixth rounder is via Florida, and Colorado had traded away their own original picks in those rounds, but still have six for the draft this year. They have all of their own picks in 2021, with the exception of the fourth round, for again a total of six, and currently all of their picks for 2022. First off, just looking through the types of deals and the kind of drafting success this team has had in recent years, you can't help but be envious now that you can see how it is all piecing together for Colorado. They are in the elite top-tier Stanley Cup contending teams now, and I felt they were the favorite to win the Western Conference this past season. My opinion hasn't changed, only that a great team can, with some short-term contract-free agency signings, turn itself into an unquestionable powerhouse if they decide they want to. If GM Joe Sackett decides not to do that, they still, in retaining their current lineup, would remain my favorite to win the Western Conference next year, just on the talent the team currently has. There isn't a right or wrong answer, but Avs fans will no doubt get to see what GM Joe Sackick will do very soon. Only one team that actually played in the expanded postseason playoffs this past season has more cap space, and obviously there are new deals for standout Rookie of the Year Calder Trophy winner Dale McCarr that will be required the year after this one. So you can't forget to factor those long-term planning needs either. But there is a flexibility in the short term to do some creative personnel moves if GM Sackett decides and unrestricted free agent players were interested in coming to play for a really good team that's in its window to win right now. 
some very exciting names are out there that have been connected to Colorado already. And with the cap flexibility, you pretty much could look into any of the several of the top UFAs at any given position for the ads as you wanted to. There are still players needing new contracts, but there aren't any of the big core name guys either. We will go through the team depth chart positionally, starting with the goaltending, the defense, and finish with the forward group. I did it all this way for all the teams, not because I feel it is any area of concern, to be honest, as it stands with the Avalanche now, I would be quite comfortable with the status quo positionally in all three of these respective areas going into next season. The abs are in great shape on the depth chart, but it is also why they could choose to add in some of those positions to even strengthen them further. They are a team that salary cap wise has the luxury and we will explain how. Also, we will obviously talk about the talented players already on this roster as they are as important as any of GM Joe Sackett's considerations for adding to it. The group he has had this past year was definitely a Stanley Cup contender and they do have depth organizationally. They don't really need to add positionally. It's to say being in the window to win, it will be hard not to add to it or explore ways Colorado could. This past season, even through injuries to key players, that depth helped keep Colorado right close to St. Louis at the top of the Western Conference standings throughout the season. Even with starting goaltender Philip Grubauer and captain Gabriel Laniskog and Miko Rantanen and a host of others that missed games during the regular season due to injuries. They looked healthy and looked primed for a deep playoff run with the return to play playoffs, yet in round two found themselves missing key players again due to injury, such as top four defenseman Eric Johnson and losing their starter Grubauer, then backup Pavel Frankos, that had third string goalie Michael Hutchinson forced to play the last three games in the second round of that seven game series versus Dallas. And that still took till overtime in game seven that the more healthy stars and their physical play were finally able to knock Colorado out. As we start looking at the depth chart, it is deep and there are a bunch of talented prospects coming up in the organization. Yet we also know Jim Joe Saka could add without adding by subtraction, and that should make any Avalanche fan pretty excited for the upcoming draft, free agency, and start of next season. We'll put the details in some of those options as we go through the team by position, starting as promised in goal. My first recollection from last season regarding the goaltending for Colorado was gaining an appreciation for how good Pavel Francois was during the regular season when Philip Grubauer was injured. You have to realize that I, for one, absolutely believe you can't win the Stanley Cup without elite goaltending. And in today's NHL, more and more, you hear NHL GMs, coaches, and executives say it has become a two-goalie league. Grubauer, when healthy, had a 2.63 goals against average, a .916 save percentage, with an 18-12-4 record during the regular season. He also had a pair of shutouts in 36 games played. When he was in net, he was playing exceptional. The only downside was his inability last season to stay healthy. There is no question of his value at $3.3 million per, and that deal has a year remaining as he heads into a contract season this upcoming one. His backup, Francois, in 34 games played, had a 2.41 goals against average, a .923 save percentage with the shutout, and a 21-7-4 record in the regular season. So his regular season numbers and goals against and save percentage were better than the starter Grubauer's. And by the stoppage, it was as if the tantum had almost done split duty for Colorado during the year. 
The second injury to Grubauer led to GM Joe Sackick picking up journeyman netminder Michael Hutchinson, who started the year in Toronto, and struggled, getting stuck playing the back half of back-to-backs for a less defensively strong Leafs team that also pretty much as a team didn't show up in the second games all year in backs-to-backs. His numbers reflected that. You have to remember, Toronto fired a coach during last season because of the inconsistency in play. Some local media in the Colorado area were talking of trading for other teams' starting goaltenders, as if the Canadians would trade away $10.5 million per franchise goalie Terry Price to the Avalanche. At the time, that really bothered me and how foolish to give the fans hopes it would actually be a starter of that caliber. With how good Fran Sos had played, Colorado was adding a goalie for depth till Grubauer could return, and he was playing well when he was healthy, knowing he would return, not leaving him on IR for the rest of the season. It was a media-driven underappreciation for Franz Sos, firstly, secondly, for Grubauer, and thirdly, it wasn't based in what GM Sackick had indicated he would do, and Sackick did what he said he would do, and that was get backup insurance to cover Grubauer's absence. The fans upon the trade for Hutchinson, having mostly by the media, their perception of the type of goalie coming out of proportion to what was, as Sackett said, just looked at Hutch's numbers in Toronto without context and trashed one of the most talented GMs in the NHL for not doing more because their raised expectations were media-driven and out of whack with what the GM had confirmed he was doing. A look at Hutchinson's career NHL numbers would have provided a more accurate picture of the backup Sackick had for minimal costs obtained. While talking about cornerstone defensemen while putting together these draft podcasts for Central Division teams, I took a stroll down memory lane at Colorado Stanley Cup wins, mostly to remind myself of Adam Foote and Rob Blake, who were the D cornerstones on those cup wins for the Avalanche, along with then Captain Joe Sack. As this is a Colorado Avalanche draft free agency podcast, I will allow myself to go on a tangent regarding the Avalanche so you can understand where I'm coming from. Of the generational players that played over similar career paths, Sackick, of course, started his slightly after Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. There are two superstars that would be hard-pressed as the next best clutch centers in the National Hockey League to choose from that you would want to build a championship team around. It would be a toss-up between Joe Sackick and Steve Eiserman for that era. That is the company and the pretty much only company you put Joe Sackick as a player in with. Think the Colorado media and fans should treat their GM with the Hall of Famer, Stanley Cup, and gold medal winning superstar that he is. He is absolutely the reason this team now is as good as it is because he's a GM. Being passionate is good. And yes, there's a place for critique But remember how elite of a player your now GM was. He is in, no pun intended for Colorado area, in rare air category. Now, the second realization was remembering it was Patrick Waugh in net for those Av Cup wins in the Sackett playing era. And that's when I made the connection to the realization of the Montreal incident that allowed Waugh to be traded from the Canadians to the Avalanche and how some media, knowing how amazing Carey Price is and Waugh's beginning in Montreal, might actually have made some think of duplicating the championship formula 
by thinking they could duplicate that kind of trade again. So I'm less critical of the suggestion, given at least if you put it into the context of how Montreal's idiotic coach, I believe at the time, Mario Trombe it was, leaving the then future Hall of Famer and Stanley Cup winner Patrick Watt in net for seven goals, so he asked to be traded, had the media personality made mention of that in bringing up Price, for which he didn't, it might have actually put some context to it. Now, if we humor this fantasy for trading Carey Price, like this personality, you would be adding $10.5 million in salary, which, yes, the Avalanche, in fact, do have available. It also has a six-year term remaining at that same cost and would have been seven at last year's trade deadline. You also, because you wouldn't have wanted to trade roster players to have sent first-round picks. Keyword on that is plural picks, many of them, plus several of the best prospects in the Avalanche organization that we will actually talk about in this podcast like defenseman Connor Timmins and Bowen Byron, and probably at least one more, and maybe, just maybe, that deal could have been pulled off. However, if I could remember which of the local Avalanche podcasts I heard this on, I would include it now. But I also promised myself to find another local source to get information related to this team that was more factually based. You understand, I didn't subscribe to it at that time. If GM Joe Sackett, who reconfirmed his faith in his goaltending tandem of Grubauer and Franzos after the heartbreaking exit to the Stars this postseason, then I trust the Stanley Cup winner's assessment. In fact, he signed Franzos to a two-year, two-million extension before last season had ended. Brilliant. Now, looking at Grubauer's postseason stats, keeping in mind, sadly, he ended up injured again, was a 1.87 goals against average and a .922 save percentage. He went 5-0-1 with his record and had one shutout. Seems to me those numbers improved in the playoffs from the regular season and provided Colorado with elite-level goaltending. You find me a goalie making less than $3.5 million in the NHL as a starting goaltender and has put up those kind of exceptional stats. I'm going to continue because it would take a long time to wait to have that answered if there is another goaltender to be found that we could do that with. Fransos numbers dipped in the postseason to a 3.23 goals against average and a .892 save percentage, and he had a 2-4 and four record also with the Chenault, but those still provided the Avalanche an opportunity to continue playing, and finally, third stringer Hutchinson in three games played, finished with a 2.75 goals against average and a .910 save percentage, and was 2-1 and one in the three games, and those numbers are better than Francis's for this postseason, and the only loss Hutch had was a Game 7 overtime loss after helping the team stave off elimination in not one, but two elimination games to only lose the third one. He is now an unrestricted free agent, and it will be interesting to see if there is a place for him in Colorado. Colorado was the only team this playoffs in that one series that had to rely on three goalies and they still, with other key injuries, including the defense group, almost knocked off Dallas, who went to the finals, in that seven-game series. When healthy, then to be clear, I like GM, have confidence in Colorado's goaltending. In the system is Adam Werner, 23 years of age, whose numbers with the Colorado Eagles were good this year. Another two prospects, Hunter Miska and Justice Anuin, as well as two recently drafted goalies that are on Colorado's reserve list, make up the depth chart. Only Hutchinson and Antoine Bibo, who played with the Eagles in the AHL, are in need of new contracts to remain with the organization. 
And yet, before wrapping up the conversation on the goaltenders, we will admit there is an overabundance of goaltenders available in free agency this year like no other year. Not to mention teams like Pittsburgh with two goalies on their team, but also tight up against the cap that could possibly want to offload salary. Arizona is another one of those teams, as is Vegas. Let's start with the elite free agent group. Soon to be unrestricted free agents, Washington's Braden Holpe and Chicago's Corey Crawford, and we should add restricted free agent Pittsburgh goalie Matt Murray. And for the most part, I would believe that they would want to sign long-term deals. Crawford and his talks on resigning with Chicago have, word is, broken down, and he is a two-time Stanley Cup winner. The other two also have one cup. However, going long-term isn't ideal. What could be of interest is if one of those guys is interested in maybe doing a one- or two-year deal at around a $5 million salary base. This is a good Colorado team. Players will want to play on it. It has the ability to win a championship. Add Vegas re-signed Robin Leonard, but still has Marc-Andre Fleury. However, at $7 million per, I would rather GM Sackick went with either Crawford or Murray and that possible route. Arizona, it is says, has shopped anti Ranta, and at least he is under the five mil with only a year left on his contract. Trouble is, what is restricted free agent Murray wanting salary term for a new deal? Pittsburgh actually, it's reported, gave permission to Colorado to talk about a new contract, but they, at last report, weren't able to come to an agreement on a new deal. Crawford then stands out as the most likely guy to provide insurance. Notice I did not use the word upgrade. Grubauer and Francois have played extremely well, only for his cup experience and capability to play that is on par is why the insurance of Crawford is a move that could potentially add to this excellent group of goaltenders. Keep in mind, Colorado and GM Sackick are in a position of strength. They can choose to stay with their more than capable duo to start next season. And they also have the cap space to look additionally on what is available. Let's move on to looking at the Colorado defense. Start with the top four and the right-hand defense side. We're going to let all these statistics point to you how good Kale McCarr is. First, of course, the Calder Trophy winner, 21-year-old Kale McCarr. He is already becoming the cornerstone of this defense. The winner of the Rookie of the Year for this past season had 50 points in 57 games played in the regular season and added 15 points in 15 games played in the postseason. That's a point per game at the National Hockey League level. He received more than double the first place votes for Rookie of the Year, 116 first place votes to runner-up Quinn Hughes of Vancouver with 53 first place votes. His 54 second place votes gave him a total of 1538 in point total, which is how they determine it, because the ballads have a system where you pick five first through five. In Makar's case, he was only placed first or second on any of the ballots. His points per game playoffs led all Avs defensemen. He absolutely deserved to win the Calder, and he also finished ninth on the Norris Trophy ballot for NHL's best defensemen. Remember, this is his rookie season. Therefore, Makar has one year left on his entry-level contract. He will get a long-term deal and a big raise after next season. Veteran, 32-year-old Eric Johnson, is a stabling presence in the Avs top four. Unfortunately, in the series versus Dallas, he was injured and Colorado had to play the next six games without him. 
in addition to the goaltenders, this was a big hit that the Ants still almost overcame. Highest paid guy on the blue line. He has three years left on his $6 million per deal. And that is a very good deal. And for the team as well. On left-handed D in the top four is Samuel Girard, who was part of the amazing haul of players him Joe Sackick received in trading Matt Deshane in a three-way deal with Nashville and Ottawa. At 22, he represents one of the three of this group's top four that is 25 years or age or under. 10 points in 15 games played is a great mobile defenseman and under contract for seven years more at a team-friendly $5 million per. Finally, the most important restricted free agent on the Avs defense is 25-year-old Ryan Graves, who had a breakout season and another reason the Avs are such a strong team. 26 points in the regular season and 69 games played, which was the third most among defensemen for the team, while adding three points in 15 games played in the postseason. This group of four is as good as any in the league a team could ice right now in the National Hockey League. And given the age, with the exception of veteran Johnson, they also have a lot of mileage ahead. However, Johnson is still playing at a great level. That brings me to unrestricted free agent right-handed defenseman of the Pittsburgh Penguin, Justin Schultz, who is 30. He has not been in any official rumors that Colorado could be a destination for him. The most noteworthy unrestricted free agent right-handed defenseman is Alec Petriangelo of the division rival St. Louis Blues. However, talks between him and St. Louis have broken down, and he might actually make the open market on October 9th. He would be the biggest name on that defenseman list if he makes it. However, it is clear he is seeking a long-term deal and would be the most expensive to sign as a free agent. He is also not rumored to have Colorado as a likely signing spot. Schultz, however, would be a more cost-effective defenseman and also has a skill set that absolutely fits the offense that Colorado runs. Chris Canna of Vancouver, who was paired with Rookie of the Year runner-up Quinn Hughes, is another. I simply mention those three, and more importantly, Schultz or Tanev, because that would give you a natural right-handed D for your bottom pair that, right up until this year, including this year, play top four, that could play on your bottom pair on this team, but in the event of injury, would be more than capable of playing top four minutes. The idea, much like the goaltenders, is insurance. When all healthy, it would be an absolutely off-the-hook defense that could actually run three defensive pairs at balanced minutes. And in the course of a long season with back-to-back -back games and a long playoff run, that's a really good benefit to having guys stay healthy. The other bottom pair guy would be Ian Cole, 31, and he is with Colorado, has one year at 4.25 million. And remember, Cole is playing in the 5-6 bottom pairing for the Avs right now. Quite possibly is the best defenseman that could be playing in the top four, if not for Graves and Gerard being on the left-hand beat on this team already as well. They are all just really mobile, good and quick decision-making defensemen. It's a joy to watch Cole play. Last year, of course, left-handed D Nikita Zadarov often played on his off-wing on the bottom pairing. The 25-year-old will need a new contract as he is a restricted free agent to be able to return. So again, Graves, absolutely. But the Avalanche have a decision on Zadarov. He had five points in 15 games played this postseason and is a great bottom pairing guy as well. However, the question 
is what type of offer do you give a left-handed D that will be your bottom pair guy and possibly just your seventh D-man in a year or two? And does he want an opportunity to play more? That honestly means going to another team. Sportsnet insider Elliot Friedman on his most recent 31 Thoughts podcast mentioned two restricted free agents on the avalanche that he thought had the possibility of being moved. One forward, who we'll talk about when we get to the forwards, and one D-man. And Zadaroff was the defenseman named. Now, one, the depth chart of the left-handed D is more deep on the avalanche, as often is the case with teams than the right-hand D side. And remember, Zadaroff played his offside on the bottom pairing with Cole. 22-year-old, entry-level contracted right-hand D, Connor Timmins, was inserted into the Avs lineup during the Dallas series because of injuries. He played two games, and he was only taken back out of the lineup because he sustained an injury. He played two in the regular season for the Avs as well. He is also great for the system the Avs play, and to be honest, by the time Eric Johnson is in the final year of his current deal, I almost project Timmins will be able to play in the top four while Johnson moves to the bottom pairing. Timmins absolutely is capable of playing on the bottom D pairing this upcoming season. He's one of the guys I was totally impressed with this game and disappointed also when he was injured. First round, fourth overall pick, Owen Byron, 19, played junior last year where he was over a point-per-game player with Vancouver of the Western Hockey League. As a high a pick as he is, he won't be that far off from competing for a roster spot. The depth chart has six other defensemen, plus three recent draft picks on the reserve list for the team. On the depth chart, 25 Anton Lindholm collected an assist in four games played for Colorado in the regular season while being with the Eagles of the American Hockey League most of last year. Right-hand D, 19-year-old Drew Hellison, was a second-round pick, 47th overall, and played at Boston College at the U.S. college level last year. To put perspective on that pick, Timmins, who looks ready to make the jump this year at 22 years of age, was the Avs' second-round pick in 2017, 32nd overall. That's about 15 picks between those two picks. And the consistency at which the Colorado Avalanche draft and develop, I would actually project Hellison in a few years to be a guy that we're going to be talking about more. When you talk about draft and development, Colorado has done an amazing job. To this point, I haven't even talked about Kevin Connaughton, 30, who is an unrestricted free agent, left-handed defenseman, who, because of injuries, played four games this postseason as well. He is more of a prototypical St. Louis arch-type defenseman than the current group with Colorado. At times, to me, he felt out of place in the Avalanche system. With the depth as it is, I wonder if he doesn't sign with another team. For example, after the fire sale in Arizona, he might find a landing spot with them as they have very little defensive depth, and intend to move out high-salary players on the defense that would give him a better chance at playing than staying in Colorado would. To finish off talking about the defense, also like the goaltending, there's a lot to like depth and prospects that are ready to compete for jobs in the regular roster for next season. The idea of getting another veteran demon that fits the puck-moving style of the abs to play on the bottom pair that could move up to top four with injuries was just a thought. Really, again, I wouldn't want the abs to be locked in on Schultz or Tanov for more than three years. It's the right side D, but truthfully, in a couple years, I really do see Connor Timmons playing in the top four. The luxury, then, of having Eric Johnson then playing on the bottom pair when he is absolutely still a top four D-man right now, could clue you into how damn good the defense is. 
and it's really only going to get better because the youth of this team. You pretty much have Johnson and Cole as the older guys with guys already knocking on the doorstep to get into a lineup with this team. Upon resigning restricted free agent Ryan Graves, which of course would be a priority for the Avalanche, and deciding what to do with Zadarov, because you can keep him around, there's nothing wrong with him, and you could more than comfortably enter next season with this group entirely without adding to it. Yet Sackick could add another insurance piece on the D, like we suggested with the goaltending. Injuries happen, so having an extra quality defenseman of the top four variety, when you have the cap space, playing bottom pair with Cole and the Avs, you would be good for a deep playoff run after a strenuous regular season, while still having Timmins next season as the roster 7D if you don't bring Zadaroff back. Well, that's possible, or you could promote Timmins and have Zadaroff back as a seventh defenseman healthy scratch. That's why I know this defense is really good. Figuring out who would be a healthy scratch is the biggest worry with this defense. There is absolutely nothing wrong with Zadarov's ability to play quality minutes, and I have him slotted as possibly being the extra D guy. That's a good problem to have, and most NHL teams don't have that good problem. At this point, some of you listening figure I have to be critical of the offense, seeing as I clearly shared you how much I like the goaltending and defense and depth at those positions and we move to the forward group, but to be honest, the forward group is what I like the most about Colorado, and how on earth could that be possible? Beginning with the top six and the first two lines at center, one of this year's Hart Trophy nominees and 25-year-old Nathan McKinnon. 35 goals, 58 assists, 93 points during the regular season. He followed that up with a point streak that extended the entire playoffs until he was held pointless in the Game 7 OT loss to Dallas. 25 points in 15 games played to lead all Avalanche in playoff scoring. He finished second in the Hart Trophy, voting to the winner Edmonton's Leon Dreisaitl, getting 48 first-place votes and 66 second-place votes. McKinnon's leadership and his ability are second to none in the NHL right now, and he remains on a team-friendly $6.3 million for three more years. When we say the Avalanche are in the wind with the wind, he is absolutely one of the keys to it. During the regular season, when there were a lot of injuries to key players on this Avalanche team, as you hear as I go through the rest of the roster here, and we talked a bit about early on, Nathan McKinnon was one of the guys that stepped up and kept this team continually in the chase for first place in the Western Conference. Couldn't do it alone, but he definitely led entirely by example. And you can't teach that. It's just somebody that has it to begin with. GM Sakic's offseason acquisition of Nazem Kadri to play second line center paid off big time, especially in the playoffs where Kadri excelled. After 36 points in 51 games played in the regular season, he missed some due to injury, and he was one of those key players to miss out of the top six on this roster. He matched McKinnon in team playoff goals with nine, added nine assists for 18 points, and often was scoring key goals that led to wins in the playoffs. Between Kale McCarr and Nazem Kadri, no one seemed to miss defenseman Tyson Berry, as that deal was an absolute win in year one for GM Sackick. Not even sure where Barry will land after free agency, but it certainly isn't being talked about much at all in Colorado. On left wing, we have the captain, 27-year-old Gabriel Landeskog, who battled injuries playing 54 of 69 regular season games and missing a postseason game as well. He still had a 20-goal season, and at 13 points in 14 postseason games, almost a point-per-game playoff production. I have slotted restricted free agent Andre Burkowski on the second line. 
another socket condition before the season began last year. He needs a new deal, and this is the big one of the forwards to prioritize. He also had 20 goals in the regular season and scored seven in the postseason, finishing with 17 points in 15 games. At 25, and with the cap space Colorado has, there is no reason for him not to be back. His size and skill were on full display this postseason. On right wing in the top six, Nico Rantanen, 23, who I always think is older every time. And then when I look it up, I say, oh my goodness, such a young guy still. Played 42 regular season games this year, so he was injured quite a bit during the regular season. But when he was healthy, he was a point-per-game player, finishing the regular season with 41 points. In the playoffs, he finished with 21 points in 15 games played. Only Nathan McKinnon getting more points for the team in the postseason. He is locked up for five more years, which would take him till he was 28. At right wing on the second line, I've got Jonas Donskoy, who only suited up for nine postseason games while collecting six points. At 28 and three years at 3.9 mil per on its current deal, his ability to play up and down the lineup and always seems to have the ability to make his line mates look better when he's on the ice. He was another key part of the postseason injuries that finally caught up to the Avs and had them fall in that seven-game series. Now, before moving to the bottom six, we should talk about soon-to-be unrestricted free agent Arizona left-winger, 28-year-old Taylor Hall. I'm just going to insert what I said in the Arizona Draft Free Agency podcast. So for the latest on Hall, Sportsnet's Saturday Night Headline, Arizona dominated the discussion. Let's talk about Hall first, and then we'll come back to OEL when talking about the defense. Sportsnet insider Chris Johnson said Hall is expected to go to the open market on October 9th. Bottom line, Hall wants to play for a Stanley Cup contender, and Arizona, even with Hall in the lineup, isn't considered one. They are a bubble playoff team that, by all indications, is getting way worse before they get better. Losing Hull just quickens that fall. Hull will consider every proposal with his agent. Teams that are cup contenders have the inside track. Again, Johnson said it isn't about term. Hull would even consider one to two year deals. What Hull wants, according to Johnson, is an offer, how the team making the offer sees him fitting in, and just what he might do for that respective team. The closest team to cup contention with cap space in the short term for a one to two year deal in their window to win is in fact Colorado. Other teams would have more difficulty finding a way to make it work. What this really indicates is that Arizona is not close to getting a deal done with Hall. I was kind of trying to decide whether to give a version without Hall or with him resigned. I wouldn't have resigned him, and I know the club ownership wanted to. I figured the player should then be the tiebreaker. Hall is signing with a contender. I might just put him in the Colorado Avalanche's top six when I do their draft free agency podcast, which, by the way, is the next stop in the Central Division Hockey the Podcast series this year. That's a couple spliced together clips from the Arizona draft free agency podcast, the one that came before this one. In the series, still more two to come after this one. Yesterday had Arizona taking offers to trade Hall to a team interested in acquiring his rights to have time to try and sign him before October 9th when he becomes officially an unrestricted free agent. Good on Arizona to try and recoup an asset from what otherwise was them being on the end of a trade like the Duchesne deal 
Buffalo, New Jersey walked out like Colorado did, a big time winner. And that's not a knock on Hull as a player. He is in his prime right now, and he played on a defense first structured team in Arizona, but he had offensive value, and he showed that in New Jersey, where he won the Hart Trophy a couple years back. He wants to play for a contender, and honestly, his want to be on one is more than current contenders need to have him. His whole NHL career, he has not been on a contending team. So there is a number there for a one or two year deal, or maybe a one year deal with a team option on year two. Although that made me think if you can actually make a contract like that in the NHL currently where you have an option like that. Point is, Colorado should make an offer at $5 million per club. Let other teams offer more because the situation in Colorado gives him the best chance to win. Don't forget, he was playing for an Arizona team that scored eight goals in the first round of the playoffs while watching the Avs put up 22 goals in winning that series in five games. That right now, those back-to-back 7-1 losses to Colorado are Taylor Hall's last memories of being in an NHL game. Barakovsky moves down the lineup and plays third line, and JT Confer, who arguably you could say may have actually been on the dip chart ahead of Burakovsky. I just put Burakovsky up there because of his point production versus Confer's this past year. But Confer 25 has three years, 3.5 million per, would move down to the fourth line on left wing instead of the third line. Not to mention, but off injured, but heart and soul Colorado guy, Matt Calvert, 30, would be there to play in times of injury, but technically wouldn't be near starting four left wingers. The whole thing of it is offering a good salary, but at a team value, and I think $5 million per for one or two years, because Hall wants to play in Colorado, that's the most you need to get it done. At third line center, while we go back to the actual players with the uh, Colorado Avalanche, I still have unrestricted free agent, 27-year-old Vatislav Nemestikov, and I think re-signing him is a good thing to do. On right wing, 25-year-old restricted free agent Valery Nushkin on the third line. He finished eighth on the best defensive award ballot for the Frank J. Selke Trophy this year. In case you didn't know that, he was eighth on that list. And definitely uh, a great guy to have on that third line role. So the three unsigned players that I mentioned at this point now are the three that should be the priority on the forward. I'll remind you guys at the end of this. And while we're on the right-hand side, there's another restricted free agent, Tyson Jost, 22. And he was the other name mentioned by Elliot Friedman as a possible trade candidate, along with Zadaroff in his 31 Thoughts podcast. If Nisnushkin is signed, it's still possible to slot Logan O'Connor in the fourth line right wing spot. He is one year left on his entry-level contract, and he looked good in five games this postseason. Like, really good. That I know I personally would be comfortable doing that. The fourth line center, then, of course, would be Pierre-Edouard Belmer, 35. He has one year left on his current 1.8 million contract. I think there is more than a probable chance Vladislav Kamenev, 24 restricted free agent, returns at center as a depth piece. However, unrestricted free agent Colin Wilson, 30, doesn't seem to be one, although the team would know better about his injury situation than I would, which is kind of why I'm wondering what they will do with Colin Wilson. The other name that was a regular in the Avs forward group was, of course, Matt Nieto, 27. He is also an unrestricted free agent. Now, I don't have him in the top four left wing side depth chart. That's because I'm four lines deep at left wing, even before adding Matt Calvert. The three that I wonder most about are restricted free agent Jokes, 
but especially knowing O'Connor can play and is on his entry-level contract, although this isn't a team up against the cap. And Jose is a fairly young player still. And then, of course, like I said, the unrestricted free agents, Wilson and Yiddle. And I haven't seen Wilson re enough recently to take a, a valuation of resigning him. And he also is out of that 12 forward roster. Whether Nemev resigned or not, or Nieto, who could technically be the fifth left winger if Taylor Hall was joining the left wing. So I think if it's Nieto and Jost return, they would be battling for spots to get the lineup. Yet, as I said, Jost is 22. Still, to me, he has the possibility to grow more as a player yet. And I couldn't imagine what creative things GM Sackick has in mind. When you think about last season, given the Kadri deal, bringing in Burakovsky and the Mesnikov at the deadline, he's just been swinging for the yard with uh, all his deals and the good contracts. He has a plan for the forward group. And I would definitely trust what adjustments he will make to this pretty solid one through line group. When you are putting guys onto the third line that you realistically know can play top six, that usually means that you're in your championship window. So the abs are in that right now. As promised, we're going to talk about the draft in this podcast as it relates to who Colorado picked. For all the Central Division podcasts, I've been working through a mock draft to try and determine one guy each team will take and a potential backup pick. To be clear, Chicago had the 17th pick, so I'd mapped out a mock draft to that point. Colorado is at pick 25, St. Louis 26, and Dallas 30. So now I've kind of looked at those later picks in the first round which is kind of a different cluster than the first group of Central Division teams, Minnesota, Winnipeg, and Nashville. They draft 9, 10, and 11. And Chicago was in its own bubble. Is it too soon to say that? In between the two groupings at 17. So that one was kind of probably the hardest one. I have been using a hybrid of PSN's Bob McKenzie's final draft ranking. Now that's put together by scouts, not just by him. And then I was also looking at Sportsnet's Sam Cosentino's rankings. And then I also looked at some uh, mock drafts of different kinds and different places. And then I looked positionally or tried to find it or tried to find indicators as to if the GMs weren't just using the best available model and then listening to one of the GMs today basically confirm that they pretty much all do that for the first round. And but I did want to know kind of positionally as you're getting later on in that first round, uh, what a preference might be for a general manager. Again, because three central division picks will come late in round one. I looked at a variety of players through that 20 through 31 on those final draft rankings. And a first view of round two, it's hard around this time of the draft to kind of really, even with the best player available model, and again, most GMs say, especially in the first round, they will always stick to using the best available player model. And that's how the draft ranking lists are designed. Now, for example, center Connor Zari is 22nd on Bob McKenzie's list this year. Yet there was a greater degree of variation to Constantino's list that put him in at 16. It's one of the wider discrepancies on the two lists, but the median has him going before Colorado picks at 24. So based even on that wide discrepancy, I think he's off the board at 20. Presently, New Jersey's third pick in the first round via Vancouver would be the 20th pick. That means he would have to drop another five spots, though, I think, for Colorado to be able to take him off the board. Now, if Zari did drop that, or 
three ranking spots from McKenzie's list, if that was super accurate, and Constantino was wrong on him being that highly up, I would say that Colorado would take Connor Zary. I just don't think he's going to be there. I have four players I really like that are on both McKenzie's and Cosentino's list that are all ranked very closely on both of those lists. There's a pair of centers on that list, uh, Ridley Gregg that McKenzie had at 24 and Constantino ranked 25, that practically, if you did a median of those, it'd be 24.5, which isn't an actual kick, get the idea, which would mirror Colorado's spot in the draft. The centers are 5'10", Greg is 5'10", and the other one is 5'11", respectively. That other center is Maverick Bork. McKenzie had him at 26 on his ranking. Cosentino had him at 28 on his ranking. That's a median of 27. There's a six-foot left winger, Lucas Reichel, 24. McKenzie had him 20. Or, sorry, McKenzie had him 24. Cosentino had him 20. And on that list... A six foot two right hand defenseman, Justin Barron, listed 25th on McKenzie and 27th on Constantino's list. Now, of those guys, those four players, Greg, Bork, the center, six foot left winger, Lucas Reichel, and the right hand D, 6'2, Justin Barron, that's the four I really see going in the block of picks 23, 24, 25, and 26 which, of course, would fall when Colorado and also St. Louis would have the last two of those picks. And I think they're all going to be good choices. But because Colorado picks before St. Louis, I'm predicting they pick the right-hand defenseman, Justin Barron, with the 25th pick. So let's give you a little more information on my predicted pick. Here's how Constantino describes Justin Barron. As one of the top skaters and mobile defenders in this draft, he's destined to play top four minutes for a number of years. Now, here's TSN's Craig Button describing Justin Barron. Cerebral defenseman who plays with a very calm and settled approach. With good vision, and he sees the plays in all three zones and gets the puck to the right players in the right spots at the right times, poised. The comparable they gave of an NHL player is uh, Matt Niskanen. Now, despite Button's overuse of cerebral as a descriptor, the second part of the good vision, good pass selection, the skating described by Constantino, and being poised are all things Colorado highly values in their defensemen. Reichel, to me, would be the backup pick. I'm just going to flat out say this because you probably won't listen if you're just a Colorado fan to the St. Louis Blues podcast, the next one in the series. But I seriously am putting Reichel as a Blues pick with Baron as a backup pick. That's how close it is. To go to the final analysis, the needs. Technically, there really aren't any. So this would be the one team that I actually got to say, hey, here's some things you could add to an already great lineup. In goal, there is an opportunity with the wealth of goalies, unrestricted free agents, and teams looking to trade them in cap-cutting measures to look for some insurance in net. Oddly, given that from Coase is 30 and probably wouldn't clear waivers, if the Avalanche make a trade, his low-cost salary and two-year short-term would be appealing to teams needing a backup with NHL experience that was good, but that had little cap space as it checks both boxes of quality for value. It's an amazing contract. Of course, we could point out Grubauer at $3.3 It's on the final year of his deal, and that's extreme value by comparison to all the other team starters in the Central Division, if not most teams in the league. 
For GM Sackick, there isn't urgency to do anything here. It's just one year where there's a lot more than usual available goalies. The word about Corey Crawford, I think, has some legs to it. And I think there's a good chance of him landing there. I think he was talking with Chicago about giving them a bit of discount as he was going into resigning. And then they came back and gave him such a low number, probably less than Grubauer even makes. And he wasn't too impressed with that. Now, if Crawford does land with Colorado rather than Chicago, which would be a unrestricted free agent signing, then Francos would probably still be dealt for a pick to a team that needs a low-cost but exceptional value goalie after trading a more experienced one. So, like, if Vegas were to move Flurry, Colorado's not taking him, or Pittsburgh has to move Murray, and as of right now, it sounds like that extension isn't going to work with uh, Colorado and a few other teams that are in that same situation. So we would go to one of those teams after that goalie went to another team that decided to take them in. For the defense, the priority here is getting the restricted free agent and top four guy, Ryan Graves, a new contract. It's pretty straightforward. The money's there to do it. I'm not sure what that's going to cost. I would think somewhere between the three to five per because I don't think he should be making more than Girard. But I think three's kind of on the low end, given that he's a top four guy now. Then there has to be a decision made on Nikita Zadorov. But as a natural left-hand D, and that right-hand D, Connor Timmons, is still waiver-exempt next year, you could go secure a right-hand defenseman in free agency, meaning you could send Timmons back down to the Eagles and bring him back up as needed. So technically, you wouldn't have to worry about him going through waivers because I think he's waivers exempt. And in that case, and that's because of his age and on his entry-level contract, that allows you to get another NHL defenseman as your seventh defenseman, but still have that other defenseman down on the Eagles playing top minutes, power play, penalty kill, the big-time situations at the uh, – American Hockey League level, and then when you need them, you bring them up. Now, word is Arizona left-handed defenseman Oliver ekman Larson submitted a two-team trade list of Boston and Vancouver to the Arizona Coyotes when they asked for it. He had a no-movement clause, so he gave him two teams. That's it. It's not really a list. He gave him two teams. Uh, if Vancouver did that, made that trade, it would be pretty hard to re-sign right-handed Detroit Stanov, which is one of the guys I talked about as a really for value right-hand defenseman. And that would still be tough for them to do, even if Arizona kept a large chunk of the $8.25 million per, which I kind of think the whole reason Arizona's doing it is to get some cap space. They were one of the two teams that were right up against it. Also, seems as though Pittsburgh right-hand defenseman Justin Schultz hits free agency because Pittsburgh, again, too, is having uh, financial uh, cap constraints. And Janov and Schultz, one of those two guys, just by the style they play. And I mean, go look at some highlights of these guys and tell me that they would not look good with the defensive group from Colorado. So the idea would be that they would fit well in a Colorado defensive group, veteran guys that you can put in the 5-6 spot, but then you have that backup that you know they can play top four if, for example, something happened to McCarr, missed some games, or Johnson missed some games. Now, on the forward groups, and I'm serious about Hall thing in Colorado, it's where he wants to play. And I even said it in the Arizona podcast. But I'm half convinced Colorado wants him. But why shouldn't Jim, Joe Sackick, shoot him a lower salary, one-year deal, and see if he takes it? Definitely wait till October 9th. Give Arizona nothing to negotiate prior with them. The priorities to resign for the forwards would be restricted free agent, Berikowski, unrestricted free agent, Nemesnikov, and restricted free agent, Nishnuchkin. Anytime I got to say Nemesnikov and Nishnuchkin, right? 
very close to each other. I always worry I'm going to mess it up. The other, the others seem more dependent on what else GM Dosakic might be looking into. Because when you're looking at those other pieces and guys that are just going to be fighting to get in the lineup, you know, Joe Sackick may have some other guys he has his eyes on um, that I probably didn't even realize he has his eyes on. And he's just amazing at, at doing it. Like, driving Burakovsky, um, Nemesikov at the deadline, that was kind of, that seems such a logical fit. But Burakovsky last season, and then, of course, the Kadri trade, just brilliant moves. So of this next list, a few of these are not a lot to be resigned. That's the list of Matt Nietl, Tyson Jost, Colin Wilson, and Vladislav Kamenev. Jost of that list is the one that really, just because of, his, because of his age at 22, I just don't see how they couldn't re-sign him, and at least if they have to move him, move him. Final thoughts. GM Joe Sackick has stuck to his plan, and he is a well-thought-out strategic in putting his team together. And for all of this I have done, he has probably done a million times more, factoring in hundreds of variations. It seems like the type of guy is. It's fun to not feel constrained with the cap limit, which on some of the other teams I really, really battled with that, on what can potentially be done in a realistic manner. But Sackick knows long-term planning is required. He always considers the long-term. That's why he is in such a good position this offseason. If he has convinced his window to win is now, as I am, it's their window to win now for Colorado, he could be even more creative putting some insurance pieces into an amazingly built roster that has depth. This is the team for me in the Central Division to watch. Absolutely, St. Louis and Dallas are good. And we have to wait and see what pieces they keep together with their teams respectively. Meanwhile, Chicago, Winnipeg, and Nashville are needing retools and specific pieces. And Minnesota is starting to undergo its culture change, as I say this. Arizona, who will join the Central Division, is looking like it's going to resemble a circa 2000 expansion team when they join the Central Division next year. But at the end of the day, everyone will be trying to keep pace with this Avalanche team. Thanks for listening to the Colorado Avalanche 2020 Draft and Free Agency Team Podcast. Next up in the series will be the St. Louis Blues. This is Central Division Hockey, the podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Begelow. As we go, here's another clip from the track we used to open up all the draft free agency podcast editions this year, titled Acid Trash by Winnipeg House Electronic Group Map from their Grant Avenue EP that can be found on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you stream your favorite music on.